Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the postgame Buckeye Talk. Ohio State beat Michigan State 52-12. to Stephen Means and Nathan Barrett are in East Lansing, Michigan. I am in my basement. I ate chilies. Everything is good. We have a million questions to go through because we have not talked about football in a while. There's not like a ton of, I don't know, like gate program changing things that happen in this football game because Michigan State stinks. How did they beat Northwestern and Michigan? We have some questions about that. Again, I just uh, right off the top, more than 200 questions from the tech subscribers. I wish we could do a 200 question pod sometime. We can't, but I have folders. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight categories I divided the questions in that we want to get to. But I want to get a couple things off the top. So I have some individual questions that don't fit in things covering sort of the most important things of the game. We talked to Ryan Day after it. We talked to Larry Johnson after it. We talked to Justin Fields. We talked to Trey Sermon. Who else we talked to? Anybody else? Do we talk to someone on defense? Oh, Haskell, Haskell Garrett. Garrett. I'm not so sure Haskell Garrett's not one of the five best players on this team, by the way. Um, here's a question. Will the Michigan game happen from the 727? We got to talk to Ohio State people for the first time in a week. Nathan. That's what we're on to. Everybody on the Ohio State team is tweeting about it's Michigan week. The countdown is on. Do we feel like as we sit here at 6 o'clock Saturday evening that a week from now Ohio State will have finished a game against Michigan? Ryan Day thinks it's going to happen. Gene Smith thinks it's going to happen. I'm inclined to think it's going to happen. I think the signs point toward Michigan being in good shape to find a way to play this game next week. And the, the second thing is from the 3 3 what are the chances in our opinion if the Michigan game doesn't happen that with Minnesota likely done for the year, that's a little bit of an assumption. Minnesota has not been able to play, but Minnesota is scheduled against Nebraska next week. Ohio State scheduled against Michigan that the Big Ten has Nebraska play Rutgers and Ohio State plays Maryland. I think the Big Ten is on alert to make it work for the Buckeyes in a variety of ways. We don't want to get bogged down about that right now because we're going to have plenty of time to talk about that this week. But anyone listening to this podcast and heading into Michigan week, I would feel pretty good about the Buckeyes playing next week one way or another. We want to talk about football a little bit, though, because I was throwing my shoe at the TV every time in the middle of a football game, ESPN launched into a 
a half-witted playoff conversation, and we're going to get into what I thought was a miserable effort by ESPN on this broadcast. We'll get into that later, but we want to talk about football. 614, did we learn anything new from this game? I pulled this one out because I thought, as we have categories to talk about, this was an interesting overriding idea. Like, okay, a bunch of stuff happened, but did we learn anything new? It feels like it's tough to judge improvement versus a bad uh, bad opponent and with so many players sidelined due to COVID. Uh, Steven, did you feel like you learned anything? Yeah, I think I learned uh, that Josh Proctor doesn't have to play the bullet. So he can't be the single high safety because Ronnie Hickman played that role pretty solid today. He, I mean, he wasn't loud with anything he did, but no one's really loud in that role. They just, can you do your job soundly? And Ronnie Hickman, outside of that personal foul uh, penalty that he got, where he got into a scrum with some Michigan State players, he played that role pretty solidly. So if the problem was Josh Proctor was the answer at two different roles, well, you just seemingly found another answer to that because Josh Proctor wasn't here today. Nathan, do you agree with that? Do you think you learned some stuff? Again, you're right that, that the, you have to take the opponent into effect here. But I do think you do learn some things when a team can come out and, and dominate a team it's supposed to dominate, considering it was missing all the people it was missing. And I think that, that this team needed to answer some questions about depth. I think this does help you down the line from a depth standpoint, right? You do have some more confidence maybe in that second string of your offensive line when you get those starters back. You, uh, I thought it was a good confidence-boosting day for someone like Marcus Hooker. Um, he didn't have to do the things he that cost him against Indiana. He wasn't having to defend the deep ball the same way, but he made some good plays at the back end of that defense. And it, it, whether he would have also done that against another really good offense is – a question for down the line, but today I think it's something he can build on, something this defense can build on. Michigan State sucks. No, How did absolutely. Michigan State yeah. beat anybody? No idea. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't watch the Michigan-Michigan State game and the Northwestern-Michigan State game like very closely. I don't know. Michigan State is awful. They have nothing. They have nothing. They have no talent. No offense to Michigan State. They have almost no talent. So I have a very hard time pulling stuff away. And yes, like Ohio State dominated – Ohio State outgained them 521 to 261. It's, I, I don't know how exactly to say this. Of course they dominated, but I'm not sure they were dominant. Like, do you know what I'm saying? That like, I The first this- half, too, though, was even more dominant, though. I mean, like, there's first, Michigan State's first six possessions were five punts in that pick six. But, but, by, I mean, they did but, nothing. They had 80 yards and four first downs at halftime. But does that mean, but okay, so they dominated the game, but a lot of it, I mean, early on, and I'm not trying to nitpick. I just don't want people to get the wrong impression. They got bailed out on their first drive because the, the, the dumb guy hit Justin Fields in the head yeah. on a third down incompletion. True. They, Justin Fields pulled it on a read and just ran 44 yards because he juked the guy out of his shoes and he was just Justin Fields being Justin Fields. There were some moments. They had all the bad snaps. For all the bad snaps, and people have a lot of questions about those, they didn't hurt him at all because every time they snapped it bad, Justin Fields just picks it up and runs it. I wrote this in my post observation. If Ohio State did not have a special quarterback, they might have been in some straights at moments today because everything that was a little – so the end result is like it makes it feel dominant when I felt actually there was a little bit of clunkiness, like understandable clunkiness with the offensive line. And I thought the defense played well, but even like the Sean Wade pick, that play was wide open against that defensive look. 
and the backup quarterback, who's better than Rocky Lombardi, just missed a wide-open guy who might have gotten past the safety and run for a touchdown if they hit him. Instead, he misses him, and Sean Wade makes an unbelievable diving catch. But it wasn't great defense. It wasn't like a great call or great coverage. The dude missed a wide-open throw. So I just would like to hammer the fact that Michigan State is abysmal. They're awful. And I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression, but they Ohio State – only played one of the last three weeks. And it's really hard because we want to talk about football. But I'm not sure that if you think this answered stuff that, that the Indiana game brought up questions about, I don't know if I trust the answers because of how bad Michigan State was. Again, the most important things that are kind of little things from the 216 is C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, light, or are we going to somehow remain at the same quality of quarterback or improve at the quarterback position. People are excited because CJ Stroud pulled it and ran for a touchdown. Steven, what was, you wrote something, the idea that when Justin Fields had to lead this game for one snap, CJ Stroud was the one who came in and then CJ did get in ahead of Jack Miller at the end. What was your read on CJ Stroud today? I think that this was the only way we were going to find out who was leading in that battle is if Justin Fields had to lead the game. And we did. C.J. Stroud was out there first. And both Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud have played in the game already, and Gunnar Hoke hasn't. So he could have, especially in this type of game, you could have easily just thrown Gunnar Hoke out there, but you went with Stroud. So I think we got a little indication of that. But then as far as the Justin Fields light part, I mean, we saw them back in the spring standing next to each other. He literally just looks like his little brother. Um, he's got a pretty solid arm. He's, I don't know if he's necessarily the elite athlete that Justin Fields is, but he can run it if he needs to. So, sure, at this point in his career, probably physically he looks exactly what, like what Justin Fields looked like at 18 years old. He was in Georgia, so we don't know that. But, yeah, I think right now he probably is a physically a JV version of what Justin Fields is. Yeah, we have no proof of that. I mean, no, we have no proof of it. He didn't throw a pass. Yeah. And by the way, when you're a freshman quarterback and you have some skills like that's what you do. You run 48 yards against a yeah. lousy defense on a pull. We cannot underestimate how good Justin Fields was mm-hmm. right away off the bat at Ohio State last year, reading defenses, taking care of the ball, being dynamic, yet not throwing picks, understanding the offense. Man, this is not it is not really about skills. It's about processing and it's about understanding. And Justin Fields was at such a high level of that off the bat last year, and he's gone to the next level this year. I am just – let us not – this is, again, this is what we do at Ohio State. It's like, hey, Justin Fields is the best quarterback in the history of the program. And C.J. Stroud's just like him. It's like, okay, we got it just just a little bit. He looked great in the open field, and I was – it was awesome to see. Congratulations to C.J. Stroud. Let's just not remember – let's not forget, I should say – how special Justin Fields is, because I thought today was a reminder of it. One more thing that was one of the most important things to this game that I want to make sure we cover before we get into all these other bigger issues. From the 414, what object did Doug throw at the TV when Demario dropped that touchdown pass? And Doug, how heartbroken were you when Demario dropped that touchdown pass? The second one is from Alex and Troy. The first one was from the 414. He dropped it on the replay. It was like, you know, these announcers are like, well, we got to look. It's like it hit his hands and it hit the ground. It would have been a great catch, right? But, I mean, I can't be too disappointed. Did you guys there in, in real time watching it on the field think he caught it for a moment? It was hard, it was hard to yeah, tell, it was hard to tell uh, from, from my angle. Yeah, It was hard to tell where you're sitting, and it's just, oh, DeMario scored. Oh, no, he didn't score. Oh, he's right back out the game. Okay, yeah. Sure. But, no, it was hard to tell until you looked did, at it on TV. 
Did Landis throw anything in the press box when it was ruled an incompletion? No. He sat up a little bit. Yeah. It was okay. more of like a just silently weeping. Yeah. Yeah. Like head in his like tears in his mask. Just I like think, yeah. I think his excitement when he thought it was a catch was the same excitement I had when Garrett Wilson had that long touchdown pass catch that was later called back because oh, yeah. Master Teague held. Oh right. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that was a bad that was kind of if he a little bit of if he if you hold too. Okay. One yeah. thing I want to get into there, we have a couple questions on this and it sort of is uh, an, an extension of what the first question was like, what did we really learn from this game? And I think I want to deal with the Ohio state defense first in this regard, because again, Michigan state just has nothing on offense from the five one seven. Very simple question. Should we put any stock into the defense looking better? It's hard for me because Michigan states, we can hear you when you move your mask, just so you know, it's this mask against the beard is quite. Yeah, okay. Okay. I understand. I don't know how you guys, I have not had to sit in the press box with your mask on. Is it hard to get through a whole game for three hours in a mask no. the whole time? No, no. But you do. Right. You do occasionally have to rub your face. It, yeah. it, it, I mean, we're used to it now. But the first game was like the Rutgers game was hard because of how that Rutgers game played out. And it was like, okay, I'm ready to be out of this. But now you're used to it. I'm not saying you can't rub your face. I'm just saying when you have a beard, mute yourself before you rub your mask against your beard. That's all. All right, very simple question. Should we put any stock into the defense looking better? It's hard for me because uh, Michigan State's offense was so anemic, but we looked good. Michigan State, again, 261 yards. Um, they averaged not very many yards per play. Like, Nathan, are you putting stock in this? Do I think that this means Ohio State uh, would not have problems against an, an offense as good as Indiana's? when it plays it again or a playoff offense. No, I'm not saying that, but do I think this defense needed sort of like a confidence building game to come back? I do. I mean, and I, I had pointed out before this game, just how bad I will say this. We knew Michigan state was a terrible offense, but Ohio state made them look even worse than that. I thought in the first half, like they made them look like a, a by game offense. They made them look like a Mac offense really in that first half. And I, I give them some credit for that. I thought there was, you know, a, a dynamic, play there in the first half from a, from a defensive standpoint. Um, but I also think it's something that there's, we, we know we'd, we'd be silly not to say that there are still problems with this defense that need to be solved before they play it in an offense that, that has some real talent on it again. And I do have the secondary as a specific folder. So we're going to get into that specifically later, but Steven, before you answer from the five, one, three was Michigan state only bad on offense or did the Buckeyes do something different as well? And from the six two six, it seems like our defense played better, even though it was Michigan state. Do you guys think we could have this kind of defense from now on, but now we have another texter who's already spinning it a different way. And I want, I want our answers on this from the 813. I'm sorry, but this win does absolutely nothing for me. I felt this team wasn't a championship team two weeks ago, and today did nothing to quell that. Michigan State is that bad. This is just like the 2018 Michigan State game when we thought the defense was fixed, and it wasn't. Or the 2016 Maryland and Nebraska games when we thought the offense was fixed, and it wasn't. Am I off base? That Michigan State game in 2018 is very a very instructive comparison point because a lot of people – bought in on that defense getting fixed and then Maryland lit them up. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't fixed. So as much as I have said, this is not the 2018 defense. It's not that much of a problem, but I like the comparison of don't get tricked by what might look like a one week fix. So Steven, what do you think of all of this? I agree with that because just like in that 2018 game, part of the reason why the defense is so good is because Drew Christman kept putting them back within their own five yard line. So I agree with that. I think, 
it did nothing for me either as far as, oh, yes, this defense is ready to go p- compete for a national championship game. But I did think that it now has some options, like the Ronnie Hickman situation. They threw out a 3-3-5 defense at one point where Hickman and Hooker were bo- both back at uh, two safeties. We saw a lot of different guys get a chance to get on the field and show some stuff. That's what this game provided is, okay, you know the personnel hasn't been working at some spots. So in a game where you know you're going to win it and the defense might be able to have a good day anyway, how about you try out some different stuff and see what you have? And that's what Ohio State did today. They saw options of what works and what doesn't. It did feel like they were experimenting a little bit more with some personnel stuff a little bit earlier on. And I thought that might have been like more COVID related of like, all right, well, we got to we got to do this. We can't hold any more on this. We got to try some a little bit of this guy here, that guy there, because now we've lived through it and we don't know what's around the corner. Because, again, I mean, you end up starting Dewan Jones at left tackle today. I have no idea. Dewan Jones had not gotten to play much this year. And he was far more experienced than Max Ray, who started at right tackle. But Dewan Jones at least was in the two deep. In a normal year, if you were blowing people out, Dewan Jones would have gotten a lot of snaps. And so I thought it felt like they really were like leaning into we got to play some different people. I want this is the only thing we have specifically about the D line. My my outrageous prediction was four sacks for the defensive ends. I think they got one and a half. Cormonte Hamilton got one late, but that doesn't really count. Zach Harrison had half a sack, and Tyreek Smith had one sack from the 704. What do you think about the defense? Also, is it safe to say they have the best defensive line in the nation? No, it is not safe to say that. But Nathan, how did you think particularly this defensive line that against Indiana got pressure but didn't make a difference most of the time? How did you think the D-line played today? Oh, I thought they played well, and I thought they were getting home a little bit more. I mean, that was a goal that they had. I know it was only the two sacks, but you saw the, the influence they were having. Um, really, though, I mean, Michigan State was I – mean, because – Lombardi's not Penix. So once you made this team one-dimensional, which was an inevitability considering Michigan State came in averaging like 2.7 yards a carry, then Michigan State was going to have no chance. So it, there weren't even nearly as many opportunities really for the for the defensive line to to really get a pass rush going because a lot of times, you know, there would be a, a first or second down play would get stuffed. They'd maybe get one pass attempt on third down, but um, Michigan State wasn't dropping back and giving them really opportunities to, to come at them that much. Steven, you were asking questions about Tyreek Smith in the postgame. He had a really good stop on a run play early. Mm-hmm. He had a sack. He did feel like he had a couple plays today where he popped. I noticed he was out there, and I don't think I can say that about the first four games of the season where Tyreek Smith would be on the field and you knew he was out there. And that's what I think it was. The sack, actually getting the stats themselves are a bonus, but it was just the fact that you felt his presence out there for maybe the first time this season. But – I do think they have to get home a lot more often because when they put Thorne back there at quarterback, he started making some plays with his legs. And, I mean, there are some quarterbacks that they're going to face in the playoff who can make some plays with their legs. And so getting the – they still have to get home more often. It was great to see Tyreek Smith get home with a great pass rush. It was great to see Zach Harrison get, get home in that half sack. But they have got to get home a lot more often, especially when you're paying a, a Michigan State team. And I think at this point when we say they have to get home, we mean the ends. The tackles yeah. are disruptive as heck. I mean, for Haskell Garrett, again, this, this goes back to the match the hand stuff that, and I, and I think I texted it out during the game that it was a big thing in the 2016 Michigan game. That was when they were talking about match the hand and it's, you have to train the defensive linemen and the linebackers when they're pressuring the quarterback against a right-handed quarterback, it's your inclination to put up your right hand because you're right-handed. But if you want to put up the hand that's actually in line with the, where the quarterback is throwing the ball, you have to put up your left hand. 
So Haskell Garrett got his left hand up and then tipped the pass and, and then intercepted it and got a touchdown out of it. It's just an amazing individual play. But by this point, nobody was shocked by that because Haskell Garrett's been awesome. And Tommy Togiai blew up a run play early, split the double team. Nobody's shocked by that because Tommy Togiai has been awesome. So I think when we say get – they're getting some interior pressure. They are blowing up pockets. They are they are stopping the run game. A lot of stopping the run game. Michigan State had no run game today, as you said, Nathan. Took that away. That's because they can't block, ha- they can't block Haskell Garrett Tommy Togiai. They can't block him. So you can't run up the middle. And as I've said for 15 years, don't run wide on Ohio State because you don't have the speed to do it. They'll track you down. So if you can't pop anything up the middle, you're dead in the run game. So we're, it's the ends. It's the ends getting home. And there was there some today. It still wasn't there a million times today. But the secondary, a lot of questions about the secondary and particular about how things are maybe going to line up. So let's talk about, and I actually have a very specific question on this that I want to ask Harry Combs, but let's try to stay with the questions because we're going to get to everything. Can no one else play slot corner? That's a question from the 513. And what they mean by this, I think, is that typical slot corner sort of like on first and second down where Marcus Williamson is still in the game most of the time. And he did bite on, I think it was like a sort of a fake screen and then go deep. And he got beaten on that from the 55 yard completion. We know Ronnie Hickman is there in any other situations, but do we think Ronnie Hickman could be more of a first down straight up slot corner possibility? Do we think, I mean, it doesn't feel like, I mean, we were waiting. If you're waiting for a legend Cavazos or Ryan Watts or anything, that didn't happen today, right? So, like, it just feels like to me, I don't know, you know, Josh Proctor not being there took away some options, but I don't know that they're going to do anything else with kind of the normal slot corner other than putting Marcus Williamson out there. And he didn't get beat a million times today, but this is a question. Nathan, what do you think? Is this, is this something that could change still, or is it quite kind of is what it is? I, I think it is what it is. I think that they don't – Whatever they're seeing in practice from these other guys is apparently not impressing them enough to to make the change in games. I think we saw that the Ronnie Hickman can play a role, but as far as like, I, I, I think Williamson is locked in as that slot corner. I, I don't know if anybody's going to unseat him this year, frankly. Okay, let me run through a couple questions and then we can get into all of this. From the three three zero, not really a question but an observation. I thought Ronnie Hickman played decent when he was out there. I understand he had the bad penalty, but it looked like he brought energy and was in on a lot of plays. That's got to count for something. And also Hooker looked decent today. Okay. How about this one? From the 216, previously all of you guys and most fans expected to see Hooker replaced by Proctor as the free safety going forwards. Does this game change your opinion? Or is it just Sparty is bad, don't read anything into Marcus Hooker playing well? Okay. How about this? From the 513, Roddy Hickman played pretty well today, but so did Hooker. Do you see anything changing? And now these are this is the, the nuts and bolts, getting down to it. From the 4-4-0, when Proctor gets back, do you see Proctor as the starting safety and maybe Hooker moving to nickel over Williamson? I think Hickman proved that he deserves playing time as a second safety, and Williamson continues to struggle, so I see him as the odd man out. And then finally, from the 6-1-4, I know Michigan State is bad, but Hooker looked a lot better today. Hickman also showed some promise. How do you see the secondary personnel playing out when Proctor returns? That's the bottom line. And again, we have to assume we don't – I want to get into a tiny bit of the COVID stuff later. But this is like a full strength, everybody's back from COVID question. It was like a playoff question. Steven, what did this game tell you about what the best secondary lineup is next time they're all able to play? 
Josh Proctor is your single high safety. Ronnie Hickman is potentially the bullet role, the Josh Proctor role, whatever that is called. And Marcus Williams is probably going to be your slot because to the whole Marcus Hooker being uh, being this new nickel, can he cover? Because he's been playing up top all season. I don't know if he can cover slots, so I can't confidently say that. So maybe it's right for, from what I've seen so far, Marcus Williamson is just going to stay in that role and Hickman takes over that secondary safety spot. The revelation here is Ronnie Hickman. Ronnie Hickman feels like the guy who might have changed how we anticipate things might work. Nathan, where are you on at full strength what this secondary looks like? Well, I think the the X factor here is, and you said we'll get into coronavirus stuff later, but like, does does this interrupt the momentum that Proctor had to take that spot? Because he was obviously playing well, and it seemed like he was going to, and we were hearing intel that maybe he was going to move into that spot up until the middle of that Illinois week, and then obviously things start going the way that they went. So does, and then now if he has to miss, you know, that week, this week, maybe he'd have to miss next week too. Does all that time kind of interrupt and, and, and throw off the trajectory he had to take over that spot. And so maybe that interrupt, you know, maybe he's not able to, to assume that starting role because of that. And they still feel more comfortable with Marcus Hooker there. I don't know. I think that's the question right now, but it, there are some X factors here that uh, remain to be seen until we see who and when and when, especially they come back from this absence. And then Marcus Hooker playing better today matters too. Exactly. Yeah. I thought he played well today. I mean, he had made the tackle on the, it was like a third and 14 and he made the tackle at 13 yards, kind of threw a guy down. Um, He had the pass breakup in the end zone on what would have been a touchdown. I mean, he made a couple of important plays in this game and it's hard to say from a 52 to 12 game, but a handful of defensive plays stood out and I thought he was in on a couple of them. Well, we were giving him a hard time because he had a handful of plays that stood out the wrong way before. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. You know, when you're the single high safety, you aren't really involved on all 60 defensive snaps. You know, I mean, half it's like if they throw a quick pass or they do, they have a running play that doesn't do anything. I don't even know how many plays you really have a chance to do anything. So it stands out when you do something good or bad. And you're exactly right. Marcus Hooker made two good plays today, stand out good plays, and he didn't make a single stand out bad play. So that matters. So if you have Ronnie Hook Hickman looks like a guy you can play and Marcus Hooker looks better, it opens up your options. Now, I under, obviously what you're saying, Nathan, is true. Josh Proctor, if he's missing practice time, that's practice time he's missing. He's a major part of the defense when he's healthy. It's just a matter of where, and maybe you wind up in a world where, I don't know, like Marcus Hooker is the deep safety 60% of the time and 40% of the time it's Josh Proctor and Josh Proctor is the bullet 60% of the time and 40% of the time it's Ronnie Hickman. I don't know, but both those things happening, right? Steven in the end, Marcus Hooker and Ronnie Hickman having good games mattered for this defense going forward. Yeah. Even if it was Michigan state, I mean, Marcus Hooker hasn't played well. We haven't seen Hickman. So just seeing them have some quality snaps matters because it opened. This was all about opening up your options. And Ronnie Hickman's a big-time recruit who I think had injury, injury issues last yeah. year. So it's like it's not like Ronnie Hickman came out of nowhere. Like, that's a guy. He's a dude. So that's a, that's a really good thing. We don't know how it's going to work out. And I think we have to take what Nathan said into account that, you know, on, on, for anybody who's just, like, out. Okay, so Tough Borland or Josh Myers, if they're just out, but they are who they are, and then when they're okay, they'll be back and they'll play their spots. Josh Proctor is the guy who, who maybe was in transition, not because – he wasn't playing well, but, but because he was playing well. So maybe his transition got a little mucked up because of this. So I just I want to make this clear for people. 
Nathan, it was 17 scholarship players who were not available today. Is that correct? I think that was a count, yeah. We do not know, and Ohio State doesn't want us to know, who exactly was out for COVID and who exactly is out because they have a high ankle sprain. So we cannot say definitively on any of this stuff. But there were some names on that list who did not play today that we had heard before. So some of those names were not complete shocks to us. But as it stands still right now, Nathan, anybody who has a positive COVID test is still out for next week. And there certainly is some number of those new players. I don't know if you can. So if they miss Nicholas petit Frere, Tough Borland, Josh Myers, Thayer Munford, Josh Proctor, Tyler Friday. Those are the six biggest names, right? Yeah. That yeah. were new additions to the availability report. You cannot say with certainty all six of those guys have positive COVID tests. We can't right. say it. But also, now that some names are out there, listen, this is Ohio State being murky. So if there's murkiness, it's not our fault. It's Ohio State's fault. And I get whatever they're protecting, whatever. We are going by what we know, which is these, guys, these are guys who were not on the last availability report. They played when they, against Indiana. Those six guys played. They were, on, they were unable to play today after a COVID outbreak, and they weren't out there. So I'm not going to say more than that, but some of those guys have positive COVID-19 tests. Maybe all six of them. Maybe not all six of them. We'll find out more next time they play. But as it stands, Nathan, they're not going to play against Michigan unless somehow the Big Ten changes its rule, but they should be okay to play the next week on Big Ten Championship weekend, right? We think so as long as I think you're not exhibiting symptoms, as long as they don't have any problems as they go through the cardiac uh, protocols that you are mandatory for the Big Ten. I mean, there is testing that goes on that could determine that there are additional issues. But if if you're doing what Ryan Day apparently is going through, which is you tested positive, but you're not exhibiting any symptoms. He doesn't seem to, you know, he wasn't, we've talked to him now a few times. I heard him talking. He's not coughing and wheezing all over the place. So he seems like he's doing okay. If you, if the players are that same way, I would think that that, that 21 days should be the extent of how long they're out, but that remains to be seen. And Nathan, do we have any reason to believe that anybody out today would be out for contact tracing? that they do not have COVID and they are not injured, but they are perfectly healthy and out because of a contact tracing situation or the fact that they canceled against Illinois last week. Ohio State has said they really have not had problems with positive, with new positive tests this week. Would that lead us to believe that there wasn't anybody who missed today because of contact tracing? No, I would think the math would suggest that there are people out for contact tracing because if that number didn't go up, and it was, we were guessing it was around, it was at least 13 was what we guessed based on the math last week. This total number of players today, including walk-ons was like 23, right? Plus you've got staff members, plus you've got GAs beyond that. So that number would have been really high. But, but, but there are multiple guys on the availability report for today who have been on the availability report for weeks who That's have true. nothing to do with COVID. There's at least seven or eight guys who are not all, not at That's all. True. Part That's of the true. COVID thing. But you're also talking about four coaches out. You're talking about um, there. I know that I was told that they were like GAs and some support staff people that are also are affected by this, either by the con by test or by contact tracing. So I, I think it's possible that there were people who missed today because of contact tracing is, I guess, is how I would say it. OK, we need to go through and, and check off the people who are on this list, but who have been on 
you know, yeah. the, the out list for weeks. So we have a, do we have that? Do we write that? Who's new? I included that in, I included that in my. So pre-game. can we, can we read that? Can you grab your thing? I want to read. I want the people listening to this to make sure they know who were the new additions, all that were listed. Like Cam Brown's on the unavailability list. He's out for the year with an injury. So he's one of the scholarship guys who out, who's out, but he has nothing to do with this COVID thing. And again, this right. is not our Fort fault. This is, already out. this is Ohio State's fault for muddying the waters here. So we're just going to tell you facts. If it's confusing, it's not our fault. Who were the people who were unavailable for the Michigan State game but were available for the Indiana game? So who's new to the list today? Okay, so new people today. Cameron Babb, Tuff Borland, Mookie Cooper, Aaron Cox, Marcus Crowley, Tyler Friday, Patrick Gerd, Paris Johnson, Cam Kittle, Jagger LaRoe, Rowan McCullough was a game time decision last time and was out today, so that that's probably uh, it could that could be just related to whatever he had going on before. Uh, Thayer Munford, Josh Myers, Nicholas Petit Frere, Noah Potter, Josh Proctor, Joe Royer, G Scott, Alec Taylor, and that's it. All right, so that's eighteen new names on the list, scholarship and walk on. So eighteen new names on the list, and so. We knew they had to at least be over 13 people total. Plus, there were three coaches that we know of who weren't there today. So that's at least 21 Four, including people. day. Four, including day. So 22 people who were out who were new. So that, that, would, so you're, that, that could possibly include, as you said, contact tracing people. I just wish – I mean, I, I get it. I get – I mean, it's, the, the worst thing about this, when you're vague, and you learn this in journalism, when you're vague in the attempt to protect people, you end up – actually pulling more people who are right. unaffected into the situation. Right. So there's probably one of those 18 players who just like tweaked his hamstring, yeah. but because Ohio state's being vague, now people think he might have COVID. We're not saying he has COVID. All we're doing is doing the math of here's the list. Some of these people have COVID. Some of them don't, but they couldn't play today. I'm a little frustrated by that. That's not the main thing. We're just trying to give you guys information about who may or may not be available for Michigan. So I mean, I there are other programs who are volunteering that information. And so and I don't. The, I, the first time I heard that George Kalaftis of Purdue had uh, COVID was when I got an email that was a release from Purdue saying George Kalaftis had COVID. I mean, that's like other programs are doing that. Okay. I mean, Wisconsin told the, when Graham Mertz had it, everybody knew about it. Right. Uh, sort of. I mean, it, it came out other otherwise first, but oh, yeah. eventually, yeah. eventually they were more upfront about it. Okay. So that's where we are. We're just trying to give you guys a lowdown on, on how this affects this team going forward. So I would, in the end, on the defense, I would not get overly caught up in the defensive stuff the defensive line the defensive tackles i think are potentially great are are really maybe great the defensive ends i still think are are playing okay pretty good but against a great quarterback who will stand in there in the pocket they still aren't necessarily getting home michigan state was not a great answer for that and then a lot of the rest of it i mean like one of those things it's like tough borland has played really well this year but i don't think they missed tough borland today honestly no, and that's no offense to Tough Borland, but I think the look where Browning's the middle linebacker, like on first and second down or obvious rundowns, they're playing Browning in the middle in Borland's spot, which is what Browning did last year. Mm-hmm. And he's flanked by Werner and Hilliard. And then, like, if you're more in a passing down, you have Dallas Gant in the middle, flanked by Baron Browning and Pete Werner. That works. Does anybody think that doesn't work? Like, no offense, but they're okay without Tough Borland. Well, again, the, the team they were playing today was one of the worst rushing defenses in FBS 
football or rushing offenses in FBS football. So that, that that's what tough Borland does. He stops the run. So no, they didn't need him today, but I think the other, I think the other look is a capable one too. I thought Dallas Gant played well today. He was in on a lot of plays. I thought, I mean, he had, a, I don't remember how many tackles he had total, but I, I heard him a lot. I thought he was playing well. All right. So let's move into this then based off of that. Couple questions along these lines from the 740. Who is the most impressive second string player? We saw a lot of them today. I personally liked Ronnie Hickman a lot today. I don't know if he's considered a second stringer, but I thought he was flying around. So, among these people who were sort of got more meaningful snaps today because of the people who were out, who did anybody really like the most? Steven, who really popped for you? Was it Ronnie Hickman or someone else? I mean, yeah, for me, it was Ronnie Hickman because, I mean, my game time decision was about Josh Proctor and Josh Proctor's not here. And so it's basically that next guy up of, okay, well, Josh Proctor's not here, but at least we found somebody who might be able to play his role to free him up to do some other stuff. So that was the kind of, that's probably the loudest. Dallas Gantt's probably number two, but Ronnie Hickman was the loudest because of the guy he had to replace and how valuable the guy before him has been in that role. Along the same lines from the 614, which non-typical starter impressed the most today? Nathan, who's the guy that you thought who was sort of forced into action that, that caught your eye? Uh, that's a good question. Like I said, uh, again, it wasn't starting, but I, I thought he was had a good performance in there. I was double-checking this to the offensive line guys, and it's hard to say because um, this offensive line is not that great, but I thought that um, they're this this – I, they didn't need to be that great to beat Michigan State, but I thought Vamahi and um, all those guys really just stepping in, especially but especially Vamahi when he's having to like they're they're making changes on the fly. He's having to like run out there in the middle of plays or in the first quarter of this game, so they're really going down to to third string. If Ray was a third string guy, um, I was just impressed with the way the offensive line kept it together. So what what then was the distribution at left guard? So Harry Miller, the normal left guard, moved to center. Yeah in place of Josh Myers. And then Matthew Jones started at left guard, but Vamahi was in there. What, what was that breakdown then? Was Vamahi just, did Jones get hurt? I don't even know what happened there. I, I looked like Jones like signaled to that. He needed to come out at some point mm-hmm. in that first early going. And then Vamahi had to run in there. And so then I think afterwards, maybe they were just mixing them both in after that. Vamahi seemed like he was everywhere. Cause in pregame, when they were going through warmups, he was working as a tackle as well. He, yeah. And they just would put a walk on him as a other left guard. So it just seemed like they found what they could get with the starters. And then Enoch would just be the, if anybody needs to come out the game, that's not a center. We're going to throw you there. We'll get into the offensive line more. Cause I have a specific thought on that. Cause my answer has to do with the offensive line from the six, one, four, other than the snaps, meaning the Harry Miller snap issue. Did you notice any real glaring issue for the Buckeyes without the 17 scholarship guys? So I think our answer is no, not real any any real glaring issues from, from the loss of guys. And we'll get into the offensive line. You know what? We'll get into the offensive line next after this break on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, my folders that I have left are offensive line, the run game, meaning the running backs, the constant discussion during the broadcast and otherwise about the number four ranking and what all this means for Ohio state, Larry Johnson serving as the interim head coach today and the broadcast, which was driving me bonkers the whole day. And I have thoughts and lots of people had thoughts about this ESPN broadcast. I'll tell you what, man. And people are kind of telling me this. It's like, this is what it's like to be a fan, Doug. What are you, why, why are you freaking out? This is what it's like to be at home. It, it boggles my mind. I, I have a, I have an idea that nobody's going to listen to, but I'm going to rant about later. But let's talk about the offensive line first. Snaps, obviously an issue. 
was kind of weird because it kind of got fixed from the 513. Does Harry Miller get at least some of the credit for Justin Fields' rushing yards? Because it was <laughs> bonkers. And again, Justin just bailed things out. What were you guys doing? Like you're watching it live and it's just kind of all over the place and it's a problem. Nathan, what was your reaction to like what is going on with the snaps as Harry Miller started his first game at center? Well, I mean, it was obvious right from the beginning. And I think some of that was just the nerves of the moment, probably Um, a a guy getting hyped up as we kind of saw early in the season with some of his performances when he was just playing left guard. Uh, I think some of it was also the unfamiliarity with center having gotten away from that for the past few months and having to kind of work his way back into that this week. Um, The other thing that I took away from it though, was again, just, you know, how much it helps to have a, uh, an athlete of fields's skill, um, you know, multi multifaceted skill back there. Cause I think there's a lot of other people who are good quarterbacks, but maybe don't have the reflexes and just kind of that, um, that wherewithal to, to, to be able to handle that. I mean, they weren't, the snaps never became in fact to the first bad snap of the game actually was against Michigan state. Uh, so it, I thought fields did a good job, you know, making the, the best of a potentially tough situation. Uh, Justin Phil said he was antsy, which I agree with, because he was giving a lot of pregame speeches, so he was probably pretty hyped up. But also, I had to – Who was who was giving a lot of pregame speeches? Harry Miller. He gave like two or three pregame speeches. He gave one with the offensive linemen. He gave one when the D-lineman joined him, and then he gave another one with the whole group. He was talking a lot. But I, I do think – so I think he was a little too hyped, so he needed to calm down a little bit. But also just – I had to remind myself that this kid probably found out he was going to be the starting center on Friday. And, yeah, you had a week, but you had a week to – what do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah, you had a week. You had a week. Are we going to act like a week is not a long time? No. What What I'm saying is like this is a guy who was already trying to get used to playing one starting position. Now you're throwing him into a whole different situation. So I, I'm not excusing the bad snaps. I just tempered my own aggra- aggravation with him. Now, if it's, to- still, if it's still like that next week, then you know something's wrong here. But. So a couple things on this. One is we have to remember just because we didn't know who was going to be out until today, they knew the whole time. So they've known. So it's like, this is not a surprise. This is eight days of this. I also remember, and I have a terrible memory, but I'm pretty sure every center in the history of Ohio State, especially when they're young, when they're starting, sometimes these guys, if it's like a Billy Price or a Pat Alflein who only moves there as a veteran, it's not as much of an issue. I'm pretty sure Mike Brewster had a game where his snaps were off. I'm pretty sure Corey Lindsley and Jacoby Boren. This is a very common thing, but what comes to the forefront in the modern era of the spread offense is that you're always in shotgun, and so you really notice it. And somebody was making this point. I, I, w- I would love to ask this question of Kevin Wilson or Ryan Day this week. I thought when they got down to the half-yard line on the Master Teague long run that was ruled a touchdown, then it was ruled not a touchdown. And they had first and goal from the one. They gave it to Master Teague. He didn't get in. They were at the half-yard line. And when they were still in the shotgun, and at that point, why you wouldn't have Justin Fields go under center and do a sneak in a world. And then they did a shotgun snap and it was bad. Like it was off. It wasn't disastrous, but it was off. I don't know why they didn't do that. And someone said, well, actually, it might be harder to do under center stuff with the new center. It might even go worse than the shotgun stuff, which is an interesting point. It has to be taken into consideration, but I would like to ask a coach that. That it was like, oh, okay, we worked with Harry all week on the shotgun. We didn't even do under center. I think they might have run one under center play today. And not only that it's a goal line thing, they love to go under center and run play action, and that's how they hit their deep passes. And that was not in the game plan today. So maybe they didn't want to do that. So I get it. It is common. I think you're right, Stephen. You know, I, we just don't make it sound like, well, 
They didn't no. know until Friday. They knew eight days ago. This was the deal, and this is what they decided to do. But it is common for new young centers to have snapping issues. That is not uncommon. Did you guys think at any point, because Luke Whippler's the backup center. Now, he's a freshman, but you could have put Whippler at center and moved Harry back to guard. And Whippler's been playing center in practice all year. I assume he's used to doing shotgun snaps more than Harry Miller is. Did, did that cross your mind at all for you guys? Or is it like, no, you can't give into that. you got to play through it. And Harry got better. I mean, it, it really wasn't an issue in the final three quarters. But did it cross your mind at all while it was happening? No, it didn't because, one, that's a true freshman. It, it wasn't necessarily impacting them in a major way because Justin just, just thought I'm going to run. But also, I mean, Luke Whippler ended up having a bad snap later in the game that ended up in a safety. So it, who says that uh, if Harry Miller as a sophomore who's already been at least been on the field is having a problem. Why wouldn't you think Luke Whipper would have the same issues? Also, once you snap it, you've still got to block too. Yeah. I like right, Harry but, Miller's chances of blocking better than Luke Whippler's. But just snip, right, yeah. But, but Whippler's your, your second team center. He's yeah. your second team center. Well, so, but I, I, I think we theory, all, he's your second team. Yeah. He's obviously not your second team center because yeah. Harry Miller we, started today. Yeah, and I think we – I at least figured that that if something went wrong with Josh Myers, they would slide him Harry Miller over, which is exactly what they ended up doing. Okay, I get that. I mean, because I mean, you're playing Matthew Jones, who hasn't really played, yeah. but he's older than Luke Wepler. So I get it. If you don't want to put a true freshman in there, sort of, then this is your best answer. Please tell me from the 513, please tell me that Josh Myers is only out for contact tracing. So someone who was very worried about that stuff. We don't know, but I, I just, I wouldn't make that assumption. I'll just, well, I, we don't know, but you can't assume that a guy's only out for contact tracing. So I would not make that assumption. Offensive line depth, and in general on the offensive line, the offensive line played well other than Harry Miller's snaps. What did this game tell you about the offensive line depth? That's from the 614. Nathan, what was your overall offensive line read that they wound up playing? This is where they got hit. That we said all kind of all week, what everything we were hearing from Ohio State is that it wasn't necessarily a, an outbreak related to a single position, but it did wipe out three starting offensive linemen and like their probably their next best offensive lineman in Paris Johnson Jr. So they lost four of their best six guys at one spot. How did you, what did this say overall about the offensive line depth? Well, other than Harry Miller's snaps, like, like someone alluded to before, I don't know that we really noticed big problems on the offensive line today. I mean, I thought they held up fairly well. Again, it's, it's Michigan state. It's not one of the best teams in this conference. Uh, but I, I thought they, they did a decent job keeping it together. Um, and there were even instances like on the 64 yard uh, touchdown run for Trey Sermon. I mean, that was all, there was a huge hole for him to go through there. And it was behind Max Ray. And I guess why Davis was, was still in at right guard at that time, but it was that side of the field. Um, so, I, you know, with, and with the tight ends that they have today who were like absolutely not involved in the passing game at all, because they had so many responsibilities as far as blocking and protecting and then run blocking today. Um, I, I think that they could, they, can hold it together well enough for an opponent like this do i think that i saw guys out there who were like smashing and are like ready for a a bigger opportunity right away i I wouldn't say that i think they were good enough to make trey sermon look good and they protected justin fields he only got sacked once in the first half and i can't wait to watch this game again because i'm wondering if those two second half sacks were more covered sacks or just justin waiting and trying to make a play but for the most part they protected justin fields and they made trey sermon look good I have a, this is a sideways question before I make my offensive line point. Justin Fields, Nathan, talked after the game about how he was surprised he did not test positive for COVID because both Ryan Day and Corey Dennis have tested positive for COVID. What does that tell us about contact tracing? 
Well, actually, that's an interesting point uh, that I was going to bring up after after we mentioned it before, because if a guy is out for contact tracing, the reason that contact tracing is going on is because you're waiting to see if that incubation period, someone who is only out for contact tracing could later be out for having a positive test is a thing I guess I would tell people to remember. I would also tell people to um, – yeah, I think that's an important question to what, ask how, too. Why is, a, why is Justin Fields able to play – but what's the con- – how long are you supposed to be out for contact tracing? What's the Big Ten rule? Is there a, day, a number of days rule, or is it related to if you have a, a negative test? You can't test your way out of the contact tracing. So if you, if you have been with – I think it's – what is it, 15 minutes within six feet of anyone who tests positive? Then, then you're out for how long? Uh, two weeks. Really? Okay. Two weeks – Based on that, I believe. But what so, about yeah. practice? What about practice? That doesn't count practice stuff. All right, we're not we're not very. But again, if you're not, you can be like it's it's again it's the it's the within 15 feet for or within six feet for at least 15 minutes. Okay, okay. So the starting offensive line next week. Someone said, uh, any ideas that the starting offensive linemen will be back next week from the three three zero? I would just assume they're not. So I mean, I I, I don't. It feels like I guess some of this is contact tracing, but I think a lot of it is not contact tracing. So I would just assume I think the safest thing for a fan is to assume that if a guy didn't play today, he's not playing next week. And then you could be surprised if he does. But don't sit around all week and wait for the offensive lineman to be back. I thought this and this translates into the running game because people had a lot of questions about Master Teague, Mayan Williams, Trey Sermon. And we're going to get to that next. I almost put this on Twitter. Then I thought I'm not putting out there for free. The heck with that. There was a play where Michigan State brought a blitz from the slot corner that he was playing off coverage. And right before the snap, he came up and played some sort of press coverage. And then he blitzed. And Max Ray at right tackle slid out and got him. And he blocked him and he pushed him wide. And that little slot corner did not make an impact on a play. Now, this was, an act- this was a play where Justin Fields did get hit. He got hit because in addition to the blitz, they also ran a stunt and a guy who was started off on the right side of the defensive line, came around to the left and hit Justin Fields from the front, but Justin Fields at least could see him coming. And Justin Fields ended up throwing incomplete as he was getting tackled. To me, that's the, I I was going to tweet a shout out because you have to shout out the bad things that could have happened and didn't. And if we were sitting here saying like, Oh man, the offensive line, we really noticed that they had to play a third string, right? Tackle. Because remember when they blitzed that slot corner and Justin Fields got hit in the blind side and broke his rib? We would not be sitting here saying, oh, the offensive line played pretty well. Max Ray saw him coming, slid out, and got him. And he caught him. And then the Wyatt Davis handled the defensive end. And so that was like, that's the kind of disaster you see all the time. And again, especially Harry Miller and Justin Fields, if they're working together to make the line calls, who's got who here? That did not go wrong. And man, that's exactly the kind of thing that in your nightmares goes wrong in a situation like this, that the end result of playing a third string right tackle is that Justin Fields got hurt. So I think you have to appreciate when those moments present themselves and don't go that way. So Max Ray did his job. And in the moment you go on and you go to the next play, but if he didn't do his job, it would have been disastrous. And that's the one thing about these tackles. And I'm zoning on the tackles because they wind up on an island. I thought Dewan Jones and Max Ray blocked the guy they were supposed to block effectively basically the whole game. 
the one thing that did happen was there were some run blitzers and some safeties and linebackers coming and coming through gaps. And maybe this offensive line wasn't as quick to slide and catch late blitzers and that kind of thing as a fully cohesive starting unit would do. But if you mostly handle your one-on-ones, that's a good place to start. So they did not play as well as Ohio State's offensive line normally would, but it was fought. they were not a liability. And Dewan Jones and Max Ray blocked those ends. And that's what you really needed them to do. But getting to the run game, I think this is, with, this is where this comes into it. Because here's one question that I, I was almost surprised by the question. Was Master Teague off today or was it poor blocking? That's from the 6-3-1. And I think that's, that's mostly a stat sheet question. Because when you look at the stat sheet, Trey Sermon had 10 carries for 112 yards. And Master Teague had 14 carries for 46 yards. Did either of you think that like Master Teague was not good today? I didn't think he was good, but I didn't think he was bad either. I just thought, you know, today wasn't his day to have a seven and a half yards per carry day. I think he got some carries early while this line was still, you know, trying to get into the groove of things. And by the time it had gotten into a groove, he wasn't the running back who had just so happened to be out there on the field. It was Trey Sermon or it was Mayan Williams who were out there on the field when it happened. So I don't walk away from this game worried that Master Teague is now regressing. Nathan, did you think Master Teague was off today? I didn't really notice it in real time. I, I, I thought it was uh, there was typical um, tr- uh, typical Master Teague running early on. I mean, again, the, the numbers, um, any game he comes out of where he only averages 3.3 yards a game, I don't know if anybody's like shocked by that because the it's it's a it's the the ceiling is a little bit lower and so is the floor potentially for him compared to some of the running backs Ohio State's had in the past so it didn't it didn't jump out to me okay because he wasn't you're both right he wasn't off and I would advise anybody to not make this a game about the stat sheet because we're going to get to some Trey Sermon questions and just let me say that anything you thought about the running back position at Ohio State before today keep thinking it this should not change your thinking at all. And to everybody in the postgame who asked Trey Sermon about his breakout game and if this is what he was waiting for, and 30 questions like he's turned the corner, he had two runs. One was a 64-yard run on third and one through a hole that I could have run through, and then a banana angle by a safety. And in that moment, all the bad of Michigan State safety and Trey Sermon both proved is that Justin Fields is faster than both of them. <laughs> So I'm not taking that away from Trey Sermon, but please do not look at a 64-yard touchdown run where Justin Fields was seven yards behind Trey Sermon and caught him and make it make yourself think, Trey Sermon has broken out because you would be mistaken. And I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm trying to throw shade at people who look at two runs and ask 16 questions in the postgame about a breakout. The other big Trey Sermon run was awesome. It was his best play as a Buckeye, and it's not close. He broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage and then shimmied the safety and got down to the two-yard line, like a 25-yard run. It was great. It was exactly what you want from Trey Sermon. And to me, it means that Trey Sermon in five games as a Buckeye has one good play. So that's a little bit harsh, but I'm reacting mostly to the, Trey, was this your break? It's so, be smarter. His other eight carries today, he gained 23 yards. Okay, he had a 64 yard run, a 25 yard run, and then he had eight carries for 23 yards. I'm not saying that's not you can't do that with running backs because that's how it works. It's how it works with Nick Chubb. You pop a big one. That's what you do. But can we please be smart about this? 
and Master Teague. So other than those two gigantic runs, one of which Master Teague would have run through the exact same hole for 64 yards that, that Trey Sermon ran through. And the other one was excellent by Trey Sermon. It was excellent. But Master Teague's touchdown run that was called back, that was down at the one, it was the exact same run that Trey Sermon had. He broke a tackle and he made a guy miss. He made two guys miss on the same play. So they each had an awesome run. And then Trey Sermon had a 64-yard freebie. Because on third and one, Michigan State's defense stacked the box and then had guys who can't run faster than a 5-3-40. Please be smarter. Please be smarter. So I'm not saying that to our texters and I'm not saying it to our audience. I'm saying to the people, go read all the stories that you're going to read about Trey Sermon breaking out. Just please be a little smarter. 918, Doug, are you eating crow on Trey Sermon? Or is this just a flash that will disappear against real competition? So I'm not, dis- I'm not trying to say that Trey Sermon did not have a good run. From the 910, I know Trey Sermon had a good game, but he still runs like a guy from Tecmo Bowl in bad condition. This is true. I agree with that. Because right after that 64-yard run, he got right back to dancing around in the hole. From the 440, is Trey Sermon the best running back at Ohio State since Eddie George? That's from Doug DeLillo. <laughs> That's from Doug, Doug DeLillo, who is just waiting was just <laughs> waiting to troll me, and I appreciate the troll. But we just we just all want to be a little smarter here. We just all want to be a little smarter. So, I would have gone back to Archie, actually. I think I think we can go all the way back to Archie. Yeah, is Trey Sermon now in the Heisman conversation after two good runs? Nobody actually asked that. From the three two one, Trey had by far his best game. He ran hard, broke tackles, and blocked well. Have any opinions on him changed? So I'm not saying I disagree with that, but I'm saying like, what is the, what are you actually, I mean, he did he had a lead block for Justin Fields. He's still not dynamic on any kind of regular basis. I, I just, I, I can't, I mean, you guys know that, right? He's still not dynamic on a regular basis. And when, so the, the running back battle from the 614, is it still Teague next week? Are we starting over from scratch now that Sermon just had a very strong game? Listen, you guys aren't, I'm, I'm not saying it's against any fan. Fans can say what they want to think. I'm just telling you, no, 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 no. Master Teague is still much better than Trey Sermon. Does anybody disagree with me? No. no. You, both said, you both said no at the same time. You don't disagree. Is that correct? Correct. We're all, we're all in agreement. Okay. So we don't have to extend this conversation. That's how in unison we are. We're saying yeah. it at the exact same time. It was. And I can't see your mouths move. <laughs> so it just came through the mess. No. At the same Murph. time. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at Trey Sermon. I'm just trying to analyze this from a team perspective for people who care about Ohio State football. Nothing changed about how you should view the running backs. That Go back and watch that 25-yard Trey Sermon run. It's great, but go watch the other nine. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And don't think – here's the other thing. They were the, – I don't know exactly what it was because I'm not smart enough to know this stuff, but there were safeties making tackles in the backfield. There were linebackers shooting through holes. There were slot corners doing run blitzes. They were attacking the run game at times, I think, because of this offensive line. And if you thought Master Teague t- couldn't get going at times, he had guys at his ankles in the backfield, unblocked guys, unblocked safeties. They're, they're free safety was coming down unblocked through gaps in the middle of the line at times. And there's, there's just nothing that anybody could do. And sometimes this is always what I went back to Mike Weber and JK Dobbins. Mike Weber would run through a giant hole and people would want to give him the job. And it's like, 
can you get can you get J.K. Dobbins a hole like that and see what he would do with it? And then J.K. Dobbins would come out. There'd be nine guys tackling him at the line of scrimmage, and people would say, play Mike Weber more. Then they'd put in Mike Weber, and there'd be a hole you could drive a truck through, and it's like, why can't J.K. Dobbins do that? Sometimes you got to watch the plays. But this was interesting. From in the 7-4-0, was that a freshman running back or a bowling ball in the fourth quarter? And from Tyler in the 937, was Mayan Williams running against backups? That dude looked like a stud. He was running hard. Why isn't he getting more snaps? He does look like a bowling ball. He had five carries for 28 yards. That was the first real look we got at him. Steven, what's your Mayan Williams impression? I mean, he did a good job at the end of the game in, in garbage time. We have to stop with the every time a running back does well in garbage time. Why can't we get that guy more snaps? Because he's probably not going to do that against a first string unit in the first quarter when they're not tired. So, yes, he looked good for a guy. He's a three star running back who was a late addition because they missed, they whiffed on some top 100 guys they were going after. Bijan Robinson, who played like a bat out of hell today for Texas, is one of them. Kendall Wilton for Georgia is another, but he played solid. Um, good job for him getting his first snaps and he did well with them. But I mean, we need to stop going as far as every time a running back does something in garbage time, they deserve to get more snaps. If this season comes down to Mayan Williams having to beat Clemson or Alabama, sorry, guys. I mean, I liked him. He's got, I mean, he does look like a little bowling ball. I yeah, mean, it's fu- it's fun. I mean, like he's a fun little runner. So can, I'm glad he got a look. I'm glad he got a look. But I think we know what the deal is. And the deal is Master Teague's the best running back on this team. And they have two studs coming next year. Bijan Robinson, by the way, today for Texas, nine carries, 172 yards, three touchdowns. So that would help too. They call uh, it the Big 12 because yeah. you get to average 12 yards a carry if you play in that conference. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Ryan so, Williams actually has bowling ball as his nickname on his Twitter page. So I love him. Yeah. He's great. I mean, like, I mean, maybe he can be, maybe he could be a good solid backup running back here. I mean, he re- he reminds me of Antonio Williams a little bit, yeah. which is a guy again. Antonio Williams was committed to Wisconsin. They flipped him late. He came here. He never got on the field because he was a backup, and he had better guys ahead of him. And then he transferred to North Carolina. So Mayan Williams. I mean, this is one of these again. I'm not going to make this a Mayan Williams podcast. He was committed to Iowa State. You know what Iowa State's doing this year? They're going to win the Big Twelve. So he was committed to the team that's going to win the Big 12, and he got flipped by his home state school late because they were desperate, and now he's like the fourth-string running back here, and there's two five-stars coming next year. So I'm glad Mayan Williams got on the field, but he's not a long-term answer for Ohio State, and he might have helped Iowa State. He might be trying to – he might be playing in the Big 12 championship game this year. It's just hard. It's just hard. I'm not saying kids shouldn't do it, but sometimes when the big school comes knocking out of desperation and you come, you're like an emergency fill-in guy, and then they recruit right over you, and then where are you? It's just tough. And maybe it works out great. Maybe you have a great experience here and you transfer somewhere and it's awesome. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's, it's all bad. I'm just saying that's all that's sort of what Steven said. Let's all be realistic about it. All right. We'll take another break and then come back on Larry Johnson, the number four ranking and this awful announcing crew on the ESPN game next on Buckeye talk. All right. We'll wrap up with this. Let's actually go to Larry Johnson. Cause everybody loves Larry Johnson from the three, three Oh, well-deserved Gatorade shower for coach Jay. From the 937, Larry Johnson getting a Gatorade bath makes me warm inside. And then from the 321, will Larry Johnson replace Ryan Day as head coach? So I don't know if they mean like when Ryan Day leaves or like are they just going to fire Ryan Day now, make Larry Johnson the head coach? I have a thing that I'm going to say very quickly and then I'm going to get off of it. 
We did get to talk to Larry Johnson in the post game. I can see that Nathan is walking around. Steven, what did you think of Larry Johnson getting to be Ohio State's head coach for this game? I mean, apparently this was the plan all along. It's why he had the associate head coach uh, label as part of his job title here. It was Ron Day said that was the, something that was discussed before the when he first took the job that if they needed it to happen that Larry Johnson would take over and be the interim head coach if if needed be and, and that worked out and. Obviously, honestly, I think he was the best person to put in that position. I mean, players love him, recruits love him, everybody loves him. So, I mean, he and he, it seems things seem to work as normal in this game. Just you didn't have your head coach roam the sideline. He dealt with his position group. Uh, Kevin Wilson called plays, and everybody else dealt with their position groups. And really, it was only a, a thing when it needed to be a thing, which is basically pregame speeches and you know organizing things in practice. So, by the way, that's what an associate head coach does. And I had sort of forgotten that he was the associate head coach. Yeah. But there was a time – I remember back when Jim Tressel was, like, going to Heisman ceremonies and stuff with Troy Smith in 2006. And I think Daryl Hazel was the associate head coach. And it's like, if that's in your job title, that means when the head coach isn't here, you're the head coach. You're not a coordinator, but it's like you're the vice president, kind of. So you kind of don't have to do anything extra until you have to be president. So that's what Larry Johnson is. And so, yeah, of course he took over and did this. But And when they do it, a lot of times it's like a nice extra title. Again, it's a title. It's only a title until you have to be the coach, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a way – I think they wanted to give Larry Johnson a raise. You give him a title because he's awesome at his job and everybody loves him. So it's kind of, that, that's why this happened. What did you think? And I have my quick take that nobody's going to like. Nathan, what did you think about – the Gatorade shower, the way Larry Johnson reacted in post game, just the idea that this, this was a moment a little bit for Larry Johnson to get to do this. Well, I thought uh, his perspective on it was refreshing that, and I think he understood um, some of the dynamics that you're probably about to talk about a little bit too, that it's really, and he, but he said it earlier in the week that this was collaborative. This wasn't about him. It wasn't like all of a sudden he um, took the program onto his shoulders and had to like remake it in the, on the go. I mean, they were still talking to Ryan day every day. They were still talking to him before the game today. Like, you know, it, it, that that stuff doesn't change. I know they're they're not there in person, but you're still communicating with them. Ryan Day's presence is still there. The other coaches' presences are still there for their rooms. So I, I thought it was a great moment to reward someone who um, has meant so much to this program. You could tell that he felt a lot of responsibility not to let the program down. And so to then win it in the way that they did also I thought was maybe an extra reward that he got to – you know, everyone will kind of remember eventually from Larry Johnson's tenure that time, in addition to everything else he's done that time where everything was really um, hectic and he was the coach that led them up to Michigan state and they won uh, by 40 points. So I'll just say this quickly. This is not necessarily my place to say this. Cause I'll tell you, Ohio state has three black assistant coaches. Tony Alford was retweeting everything about Larry Johnson getting to be the head coach today. Al Washington was retweeting everything about Larry Johnson getting being the, to getting to be the head coach today. Larry Johnson is in the post game dancing with his team and loving every moment of it. And all those Buckeyes are loving being with him. It's great that Larry Johnson got to do this today. What I push back against is Ohio State pushing this idea that this is historic. A lot of people are pushing this historic thing. It's not historic. He doesn't get credit for the win. How can something be historic if it's not in the history books? This is Ryan Day's win. Larry Johnson doesn't get credit for it. If you want to take credit for the first African-American head coach in Ohio State history, hire an African-American head coach. Hire Larry Johnson as your head coach. Because guess what? Larry Johnson is a great technician. He is a great teacher. He is a great recruiter. 
He is a great motivator. He is both respected and loved by every single person in every program he's been a part of. And he's 68 years old. And the first time he got to be a head coach was for one game in a pandemic. Why wasn't this guy a head coach 20 years ago? So I get it. I get it. This is wonderful. It's also terrible. So I get it, but, but the idea of Ohio State, what history is Ohio State claiming here? And by the way, you're, Larry Johnson, he's the perfect choice for this. I get it. And he did a great job. He's exactly what you want in this moment. But by the way, he'd also exactly what I would want one of my football program. So I don't know exactly what Larry Johnson has wanted to be and not wanted to be in his career. You know, I know that he, part of the reason he left Penn State is because he never really got a look as the head coach mm-hmm. when they went to Bill O'Brien and then to James Franklin. And James Franklin's a black coach, so they hired a black coach, and it wasn't Larry Johnson. It's not all only about race. But Ohio State's making this about race and claiming history. It's not history. The coach was sick, so this guy took over. I would love, I will relish the day when Ohio State football actually makes history and hires a black head coach, and I'll relish the same thing. And I'm going to go when it, when it happens at every other major program in the country because you, you start looking around all the major programs that have never had a black head coach. You can find a lot of them. So I'm not making this an issue except that it's being made an issue. So I want to celebrate Larry Johnson today, and I will, and we all should because he deserves that. But he also deserved to be a head coach long before this. And the fact that that didn't happen is not a celebration. That's a mark on this sport. So you don't only get to celebrate a fantastic person and a fantastic coach for a one game moment without recognizing the history that forces a guy like Larry Johnson into a one game moment instead of a long career of all these chucklehead whitehead coaches who get chance after chance. Who's going to hire Will Muschamp next? That guy's a failure. That guy's a disaster as a head coach. Larry Johnson would coach circles around Will Muschamp. Texas wanted to hire him when he was 35. That's a joke, and it's a stain. So I'm not making this about race. Ohio State is. So let's just call what's real what's real. And what's real is Larry Johnson is awesome. And the fact that he hasn't been a head coach before today is a shame. Let's talk about playoff rankings. They did it in the broadcast. Let's, let's, let's go right to the broadcast while I'm mad. Absolutely. Let's go right to the broadcast while I'm mad. While I'm still mad, we'll go to the broadcast. Does this anybody? Be good because we didn't actually get to watch the broadcast. Yeah. I, but I, I don't want to be the only person who speaks on this. Does anyone else want to add anything about Larry Johnson and in that category and that discussion? Does that? Does anyone disagree with me? Does anyone agree and want to say anything? I don't want to move on before giving you guys a chance to talk on that. I mean, no, I obviously agree with you, and I think a lot of that is on Penn State. Starts there. He was there for a while, and he should have been the first person they looked at. If he's in here. He's already there. You should have already looked at him. But it's also it's him not getting a look, but it's in the guys who do get looks. If they don't do well on that job, they probably are never going to be a head coach again, which isn't the case with any with, with white head coaches. That's not the case. They get plenty of chances. While a guy like Larry Johnson that everybody loves, and you see what his pedigree is, he doesn't get a chance. And I don't know who's more qualified to get a chance somewhere in a Power Five program than Larry Johnson. Nathan, you want to add anything? No, I I, I echo those sentiments, um, and I, I think it's it's. Um, I do, though, understand why people like um, white 
Tony Alford and Al Washington would be like why they would see some maybe some significance in this. I don't want to take that away from them. I, I do understand why they see that as as young guys, um, relatively young guys, um, my age, maybe even younger than me, actually. Now I think about it. Isn't that sad? <laughs> Who who are who are aspiring to that, and who who in Larry Johnson probably will will see both of those guys be head coaches someday, and I think he'll probably be pretty proud of that. It's a big deal, and then Mike Lotzi's a big deal, and we'll see how that turns out. No, I agree, and and I, I it is not I, I'm not at all trying to take away from anybody who wants to celebrate this. It's just unfortunate to me that it took this long to celebrate this for that guy. That guy, everybody loves that guy. Everybody loves that guy. Find one person in your life who will say something bad about Larry Johnson. Everybody loves that guy. So I'm not trying to take away from Al Washington and Tony Alford and, and, and all the people in the Ohio State program, the players and the coaches who were celebrating that. But I've made my point. All right. The announcer sucked. It was awful. And I was tweeting about it the whole game. All they did. So the one thing is that Ohio State fans are accustomed to really good announcing crews because you get Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt a lot, and those guys really know Ohio State. And you get Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet a lot, and those guys really know Ohio State. And when you get a Big Ten announcing crew from the Big Ten Network, they're going to know Ohio State. James Laurinaitis, when he's doing an Ohio State game, knows Ohio State. Bob Wachusen and Dan Orlovsky did not know Ohio State. And this is coming clear to me because I have not been in a press box this year yet. And I have covered every Browns game and every Ohio State game. So I'm watching them all on TV. And it amazes me with both broadcasts each week, the way they act like everybody watching the game has never seen that team play before. When they do the Browns, every time they play the Browns, they show Jim Brown and Otto Graham. Like the Browns fans don't know the history of the Browns. Why are you showing us Jim Brown? Talk about the team. So why it's in baseball, you have these local announcers and I wish you could do local broadcasts and I do it with the radio, but why do they have to sync up the radio with the TV? Man, if you could do an alternate TV broadcast with people who talk to you, like the fans watching are experts, anybody. And I said, Buckeye talk ruined it. Text, or, text subscription ruined it. Anybody who listens to this broad, to this podcast on a regular basis and anybody who texts our, gets our texts was more qualified to do this game on ESPN than the guys who did it because you know more about Ohio State. They didn't know about Ohio State, so all they talked about was comparing Justin Fields to Josh Allen as a quarterback prospect, which made me throw my microphone at the TV. Josh Allen couldn't throw a five-yard pass from him to me when he came into the league. Justin Fields has not thrown an inaccurate ball in two years. That comparison is bonkers to me. And then all they did is have uneducated playoff discussions. Stop talking about the playoff. And then I flipped to another game. I, f- I was watching Indiana, Wisconsin, and those guys were talking about Ohio State's playoff positioning against Texas A&M. And they don't know what they're talking about. Let the playoff people on the playoff show talk about the playoff, but stop talking about the playoff. They must have done it five times on the Ohio State game. Oh, it was Texas A&M, uh, style points. I was like, please stop. You don't know what you're saying. It drove me crazy. Plus the camera. You guys, again, you weren't watching it. The camera, the second play of the game, Michigan State throws a screen. The camera stays on the quarterback for six seconds. Fooled by a screen pass. Yeah. Did, did, all the, did all the camera operators in Michigan have COVID? And this was the third string camera operator? It was unbelievable. How bad is the ABC coverage? Or Dan Orlovsky is the worst. That camera work and picture quality are bad to boot. From the 407, is there a worst color analyst than Dan Orlovsky? From the 269, can we have an MMA cage fight with Doug and the ABC crew from today? 
because I was going nuts about this broadcast. And why do the announcers have to be so terrible from the 630? I, f- I just started this a week. It's actually coincidental because I follow, I started following Dan Orlovsky on Twitter, not because he was doing the Ohio state game because he does great quarterback breakdowns on his Twitter account where he'll, he'll just zoom in on a game, pl- a game pass play and break down a play that an NFL team is running why they didn't run motion, what it did to the quarterback. He really breaks that down really well. But they didn't know Ohio State, which frustrates me. They just didn't know the Buckeyes. When C.J. Stroud came in the game, they didn't know what to say about C.J. Stroud. And it reminds me, I did a lot of radio in college because I thought I was going to be a radio guy. And we would do college baseball games. And if you want to find a team that you know nothing about, go do a Big Ten baseball game. Do a broadcast. And I would show up on a Wednesday afternoon to call the game as the play-by-play guy and, like, not know who was on the team. Try to do a base with all that dead air in a baseball radio broadcast. And, like, you don't know who the players are. You are dead. And that's what this game felt like today, a little bit to me. They didn't know what to say. Now, I think part of it was they weren't in the stadium. So they were doing it from home. So they can't see things with their own eyes that aren't on TV. And I think at times Orlovsky was quiet because he was watching a replay because he was getting ready to break down the play with the little telestrator and stuff. So I got that, but there was dead air. It was poorly done. And ESPN and ABC demand, you should be better. You're ESPN and ABC. You're not WNUR, 89.3 in Evanston, sending it out to 16 people listening to a Northwestern baseball game. So I was aggravated on behalf of fans. Be better. Do a better broadcast. Dan Orlovsky knows a thousand things more about football than I do, but they didn't show it today. And by the way, Bob was called Kerry Combs, Kerry Coombs twice. And I retweeted. If you had mispronounced the defensive coordinator's name on your broadcast bingo card and Kerry Combs, his wife liked it. So take that very frustrating guys. You have not experienced this. I am here on behalf of some of these games. Listen, and Joel, and I was getting mad at Joel the other week. Gus and Joel are great. Fowler and Herbie are great. Laurenitis is great. But some of these guys, you know it. Some of these announcing crews, ugh, right? Yeah, sometimes you guys have experienced it, even though you've been at all the games this year. Is it only me? No, Am I the no. only person who rips announcers? So I, I've heard of Dan uh, Orlovsky game before when you know, he was calling a Clemson game and it just turned into a Trevor Lawrence love fest. So I'm kind of surprised he didn't do the same thing for Justin Fields. Can you give a breakdown of how he ended up on Josh Allen for Justin Fields? Like, what was he, the comparison he, there? He, he was talking about, like, that he's athletic and I think, like, having to make reads and stuff, like read defenses. And then he said Josh Allen, which is just, like, not at all. So I don't know. If you want to compare a couple Josh Allen traits, John asked, Josh Allen has a laser. Justin Fields doesn't have that kind of arm. But Justin is a thousand times more accurate than Josh Allen was as a draft prospect. If you both like, you think they can both run and can like are hard to tackle. I get it, but that just aggravated me. And the playoff talk aggravated me because all anybody on ESPN does is talk about the playoff, but they don't add anything. They just talk about Texas A&M style points. I thought the point that Nathan that you made this week about that like Florida, like if you can't Florida can't get around Texas A&M and. And but Texas A&M stinks. But if you they, if the committee wanted to vote for Florida, nobody on ESPN is making a point that astute. You know what I mean? Like they're just saying stupid, obvious stuff all the time. So let me ask this question. This is the last thing we'll talk about the playoff stuff from the four four zero. Why is there a debate for number four in the nation? Is it a stunt by the media and ESPN to drum up drama and talking points? Nathan, you think about this more than any of us because you are a voter. 
do you feel like there is a real debate or, I mean, like, like today, and if you want to say if, 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 but like right now, right, let's go by what's happening right now. Is there really any debate? There's not a debate in my mind. I introduced this a couple weeks ago into our conversations to, as a way to say if Ohio State continues to play, and we were just coming off of the second half of that Indiana game, right? So if Indiana continues to, or Ohio State continues to have some lackluster performances, and then especially once it became a question whether or not they were actually going to get on the field, and Florida continues to play well and ends the season the way they did, that was the one conversation I thought could be out there. That there was a confluence of events, Clemson beats Notre Dame, but but it's still competitive enough that they both might be playoff teams. Florida beats Alabama. That's where there was the one wrinkle that I thought could be problematic. But I don't think there's a debate right now. In my mind, there's not a debate on the, the, the four that deserve playoff spots right now. Uh, this question from the 317, if Ohio State gets to play us next two games and wins in decent fashion, is there any chance they get left out of the playoff in any circumstance? I think today's performance with players down reestablished the dominance and respect that Ohio State had coming into the season – even if Florida beats Bama, I think Ohio State is a lock for the playoff if it takes care of business. The one thing, the interesting point in there, and there's a couple interesting points, but do you think this helped them in the eyes of the playoff committee, Stephen? Do you think that this was a good day for Ohio State? I do. Michigan State stinks, but they somehow have beaten uh, Northwestern, which is going to be who they play in the Big Ten Championship game. And the fact that Ohio State was down basically its entire offensive line, plus some key guys on the defensive end as well. It, kind of plays into the story a little bit. We it, It's the same thing with the Indiana game almost, where we know that wasn't a good Ohio State game, but the committee kind of viewed it as a Ohio State's got a really good win over an Indiana team that's pretty good. So like, we might not view it that way, but the committee is going to view this in a light of through all this adversity, look what Ohio State was able to do, and they did it in dominant fashion. It is kind of weird to look at it from like where, where are the dominoes here? Because if I'm a if I'm a committee member and I watch this game today, Northwestern drops in my ranking next week. Because how the hell did they lose to this team? Mm-hmm. Um, they gave up 29 points to this Michigan State team. What are you are you kidding me? But I think that Ohio State win over Indiana is going to look better to the committee now because Indiana just went and shut down Wisconsin and won. 14 to six or something like that. Like they didn't allow a touchdown. I don't think, I mean, they've, they had, it was a really good win for them so that it actually helped Ohio state a little bit um, to have that outcome turn out that way, especially now if they're not going to have to end up playing Wisconsin and don't really care where they're ranked. So um, I, I think the committee though, Doug, to kind of get back to a point you were making early on, do you think the committee is going to look at this game and they watch every game? So they say, but they can look at this game in the sophisticated way of um, how good really is Trey Sermon um, how really good good is the defense against this Michigan State team? Are they going to look at 52 to 12 and some of the points I was making about 80 yards at halftime and four first downs? I think the committee is going to look at this as a, an, an impressive win for Ohio State considering who they were missing. No, I think I think they'll think it was a good defensive performance and that Justin Fields is awesome. And both mm-hmm. those things help Ohio State because the defensive part is maybe – changing your mind right on some worries you might have had and the justin fields thing is confirming after three picks against indiana that this dude is special when he's on your team ohio state can beat anybody and we got to get that team in the playoffs so from the 616 last question do you agree that ohio state should be in the top four i don't understand how ohio state went from a consensus top three team to a borderline playoff team after being after beating a top 10 indiana team i feel like every commentator is influenced solely by the playoff rankings and can't think on their own at all. I think we have fallen into a playoff hole a little bit in a weird year. 
all anybody has left to talk about is the playoff. Because like we said, nobody analyzed Ohio State, Michigan State this week because we didn't talk to anybody. You weren't even thinking about it. It's like, and then you get to game day on Saturday and it's like, well, playoffs, 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 playoffs. They're so much better than Texas A&M. I don't want to hear another person say Texas A&M. I don't want to hear, what's their nickname? Aggies. Is that a girl horse? What is it? What's an Aggie? Uh, I think it's the cowboy. No, I think it's, is, is it the cowboy or is it the horse? Buckeye talk. Is it the cowboy or is it the horse? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We might have to look this up for the next one. Am I, is Put it, it out ag- to the texters. Yeah. Is it an agricultural person? I don't mean to demean agriculture because we'd all be dead if we didn't have agriculture. I think it might. So they're the Texas A&M is agriculture and mining. So they're the Aggies. It'd be like if they were the Minies. <laughs> we just accept Aggies. It was like the Texas A&M Minies. It's like, why are the Minies? Because it's agriculture why, and mining. Why is he on a horse? All right, you know it's not a horse. All right, I don't want to hear it. They're not as good as Ohio State. They're not as good as Ohio State, and I don't want to hear it. You guys are getting kicked out of the press box. That's our podcast. We'll come back on Monday with Monday Madness. Lots of stuff to read at Cleveland.com slash OSU. 614-350-3315. So you can get texts from me ripping the broadcast right in the middle of the game, right in the heart of the game, just me complaining. Um, Thanks for you guys for joining us. Stephen and Nathan, safe travels back from East Lansing. Talk to you guys soon. And that was Buckeye Talk.